international, domestic. Um, Eli has, and his wife Mandy, and their tribe of kiddos, kiddos and uh, Mandy's sister named Jenny, they've been a part of this church for a very long time. And uh, we're so excited just to be behind these guys. They're living in Texas. He'll probably tell you a little bit more about that. But um, we've known these guys for a long time. Where's, where's the girls? I can see you barely back there. So there's Mandy. That's his wife. And then Jenny is right next to her. Say hi. So they're twins, in case you're wondering. Yes, they do look alike. Um, so we're excited to be able to have these guys here this weekend. Both those girls grew up in Rio Grande, and Eli was imported here for a little bit and then moved away. Now they're in Texas. He'll tell you a little bit about it. So I want to just give, well, how about we all give him a nice warm welcome, and then he'll bring us the word. All right. Do I have it, Do I have it right? You guys can hear me okay? Uh, my name is Eli. It is so good to be here. This is what we call a Bible thumping Bible right here. Um, so, so I don't thump it at you, I'll put it down. Uh, I want to say three things before I actually get started uh, talking about the Bible. First off is I'm super grateful for this church for one reason, and one, the first reason is because of my wife. So I was going to school in Colorado, I'm from Alaska, got a Native American scholarship to school in Durango, Colorado, and I didn't know anything about the school except they had computer science and rock climbing, and that was enough for me. So, so I showed up off a Greyhound bus back when people still took those. We call them the Hemorrhoid Express. And, and, I, and I roll in not knowing a soul, and I'm walking around. But here's what the Lord had done in my heart. is When I was in high school, every time I tried to live a private Christian life, I ended up screwing up royally. I would be like, this year, this is it. I'm, that's it. I'm done. No, no more going back. And I'm just not going to stir the waters. I'm going to stay out of trouble. And every time I tried to stay out of trouble... I ended up royally embarrassed, major trouble. And so one year I go, Lord God, if maybe the problem is I'm trying to keep it quiet. Maybe if I just open my mouth and start spreading it around, maybe then I, I won't, um, maybe then. So I do. So in high school, that's what's happening. I'm, a bunch of people are starting to get saved, but I feel like a fraud inside. I feel like that I'm talking about being free. These people are coming to the altar and we're singing songs. People come to the altar, and I, and I just don't feel the freedom that they have. And what had happened when I got right with God, I was reading an A.W. Tozer book, and it says, if you're a prisoner being sentenced for the crimes you've committed in a court of law, how dare you stand hat in hand demanding justice for someone else's crimes? And it went right through me. I was like, that's me. And so I got on my knees and said, God, I'm so sorry. But what I did is I basically put a collar on my neck and a leash in God's hand, and I insisted that my relationship with him from now on was like dog and master, slave and owner, and basically said, thank you for being a good master who, who doesn't kick me, and unless I deserve it. And even so, I'd welcome your kicks because I've been such a tool bag. Y'all understand this. So I had this man discipling me, my, my best friend ever, and something happened, and and. I got so hungry for God, I went to this pastor, and they prayed for me. And I don't know how else to describe it, except here's what happened. It was like I was the prodigal son who put a leash in God's hand and a collar on my neck, and I was going to go back and just serve the Father. And then God said, Eli, you cannot be a dog in my kingdom. You have to be my kid. I insist on having that type of relationship with you. And, and honestly, I wasn't sure that I could hang, because that's a whole nother this. And so it was like he gave me a hug, you know, when you're kind of embarrassed. Like, basically the judge had forgiven me. He was like, yeah, 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 get out of here, kid. I forgive you because I have to, but I don't really like you. And what happened in this experience that I had was I was convinced um, that God not only liked me because 
he was that way, but he actually loved me. And, and it changed me. So what happened from then on is when I went to school, I was looking, I, I wanted to get married really bad, but I wanted a girl that was, had been discipled. And I kind of got burned by thinking that, man, this one's quiet. Maybe she's quiet because she's got a devotional life. And you're kind of young and, and dumb. And I think you can get away with missionary dating once or twice, maybe three if you're a real idiot. And at some point, at some point you go, this doesn't work. And I'm like, that's it. Lord, I'm not making a move until I see someone who's been discipled. And so I'm there. We've invited seven new people are over at my house. We're doing this little after uh, event thing, and we'd gone through the dorms and taken out people's trash and inviting them to this Christian group it was a part of. And so this one girl I'd invited named Melissa was sitting on the couch. I walked through the house. Everybody was just doing what they do, and I was kind of making sure no one was being left out because we all learned that it's so funny when you come in, if you feel like an outsider, it could be that it's not coming from you at all. It could be someone around you. I found that our spirits are like antenna. They both send information and receive. And so sometimes I've learned that if I'm feeling lonely, I just look around me and I find the person who's actually lonely because I'm like, I'm pretty content in the Lord. I don't know where this is coming from. So I look around. So this is what I'm doing. I'm walking through the, my little house and seeing if anybody is, and, and there's this girl, Melissa, and I'm like, I'm not, there's no way. It's not me, my job. But Mandy had been there. <clears throat> and Mandy walked in. She'd been part of our group for all of like a week. And she looks at this girl and she goes, Hi, I'm Mandy. Hi, I'm Melissa. And she goes, how's your walk with God? Fifteen minutes later, the girl is crying and getting right with Jesus. And I go, I go, that's what I want. So I didn't have the courage to talk to her, so I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for raising my standard. Now I know girls like that exist. <laughs> and I wasn't going to make a move until we had a statistics class that I somehow eked out a C and she eked out a D because we were busy eking out each other. Uh, <clears throat> But I, my first question with her when we actually got together, I was like, who discipled you? And she goes, there's this lady called Sherry Stupar. And when I came out here, uh, so that's the first thing I want to thank uh, Calvary for my wife, for discipling my wife. Amen? Um, where would I be? Where would I be? Where would we be, honey? The second thing I want to thank is when I came here to Calvary Slaw, I'd never seen a church like it. And in those days, uh, so this is, Mandy and I have been married 15 years this summer. So 18 and a half years ago was my first foray into Calvary. And there was this man uh, singing a song. And it goes like this. And let your kingdom come, and let your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. You heard the song before? And let your kingdom, and I... And I, but, you know, we've heard people sing like our lives. But if you looked at the corner of James Ray's mouth when he was writing that song and when he was singing, you feel like you're being transported into the heavenlies. It's not, you're not just singing along. It's like you're singing with the angels. And then you read Isaiah and see how the angels sang one to another. And you're like, wow, I thought I'm just supposed to close my eyes and ignore everybody, but they actually sing one to another as they're talking about how wonderful God is. And so there's a fire. I, I would say this, that Calvary slow tattooed my heart. Now, external tattoos are of some use. They, they have all sort of influence. But if you can meet people that have met with God, they can tattoo your heart that does something that just goes with you forever. 
And so James Ray uh, and Brian married us. They married us. Thank you, Jesus. They were both the officiants of our wedding, and, and I am forever grateful, not only for y'all giving me my wife, um, but also for doing something in my heart so many years ago. So often from all over the nation now, I get people saying, hey, where can I find a recording of that song, uh, Jesus, Friend of Sinners? And I'm like, you know, I don't know if James is ever going to record it, but I can send you the chord chart. And, and so, James, someday you're going to find how many people are singing your song, and I'm just grateful for that. Uh, the third thing I, I do want to thank you for is this church has supported us. We've been in uh, ministry work almost my entire marriage, 14 years, and Calvary Slow has been a huge, huge part of that. And I do have a message which we're going to get into, and if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hands and they'll pass one out. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 13, so if you want to go ahead and put your finger there, and I'm going to finish telling you a story. Is that cool with everyone? We're all right? So the third one supporting us is we were at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas. How the Lord brought us there, that's a whole long story. I don't have time to tell. Um, but when we arrived in Huntsville, we call it Hunts Vegas because all the prisons of Texas are there, most of them. And we say what happens in Hunts Vegas stays in Hunts Vegas for 10 to 20 years, depending on good behavior. <clears throat> I remember meeting a guy in a pawn shop, and he goes, he goes, you live in Huntsville? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I used to live in Huntsville. And I smiled at him, and I said, you spent some time in Huntsville? And he goes, yes, I did. <laughs> and then he looked like he had. Well, uh, <clears throat> we were there, and here's what we do is we, we, uh, we raise up small group leaders. And the way we do it is we say just what Brian said already, disciples who make disciples. And so we give our small group leaders a 3F job description. You have to find lost sheep, you have to fight to bring them into community, and you have to feed them. If it's always me, the pastor, feeding them, you don't ever grow up. Another thing we say is responsibility is the miracle grow. Most of us here that are parents, I have four. Anybody else? There's, I know there's a lot of kids back there. There's, we have kids, and what you find out is you're never ready to have kids. You just have them, and then you figure it out. And if you wait till you feel ready to start winning people to Jesus, you will never be ready. But it's when you start taking responsibility for the world around you that the, the battle of your own soul wells up quick. And I feel you're, right now you're like, some that are here, you're on that thing, you're like, man, if I could just know a little bit more. It's like parenting. Have the baby and you'll figure it out, right? Have the baby and you're like, I gotta read this book, Right? I, I don't know enough about the Bible. Well, have a baby, and all of a sudden you'll be looking for any answer for another soul you can. And so that's what we do. We find, fight, feed. And so what we saw happen over the decade that we were there was we went from one small group leader to 10 to 20 to 60 to 200 small group leaders. There's about a little under 3,000 freshmen at Sam Houston State. And if those 200 small group leaders pursued 10, then we're almost at an incoming class of freshmen. So things were going so well, they asked us to get out and go to Texas A&M, where there are 60, yeah. Yeah, Shondala, whoop, that's our Pentecostal whoop. We, uh, we're hijacking it. 60,000 students, 16,000 freshmen, 5,300 acres of space the campus covers. So we're there, and I said, Lord, what do you want us to do at A&M? Or what do you want at A&M? And he just told me simply, A&M, like it's his or something. 
So I said, okay, how do you want us to help you do that? And he said, well, what have I showed you how to do already? And that was small groups. So I said, okay, how many small group leaders do we need to reach an incoming class of freshmen? Well, I feel like if my small group leaders tell eight people their testimony, pursue them and tell them, find, fight, feed, if they do that, then 16,000, so I need 2,000 small group leaders. So Mandy's identical twin, Jenny, one of my best friends, her husband is my best friend, Jonathan, they're here with us. We moved with a team of 22, and we've now added interns. We've got roughly 40 people that are taking a swing at this. But here's what's really cool, is we never would have, when you give in the offerings like you did this morning, sometimes you have no idea what your money is helping do. And what it helped us do is it helped us pour out our lives and souls at A&M so we could unashamedly, unreservedly, fully focused, look at a field that needed to be one to Jesus. And you're like, A&M, that's the Bible Belt, conservative. Sure, 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 I've heard all that. Uh, five out of six people I meet on campus know nothing about Jesus. They're like, I think he died on a cross, and I'm not sure why. And they really know nothing. And so we're there. So here's what's really cool. We just finished year three. In this coming year, we have 90 students that are going to go out and find, fight, feed. Amen. We couldn't have done it without you. We wouldn't have wanted to do it without you. And I just want you to have a little vision for what happens when you pour out of your heart. Um, it lets me just fully focus on ours. But not only that, we, the Lord did some things and, and spoke to us. And so we started a church as well. So I am a bivocational missionary. Uh, this is what it means, is I'm only allowed to have one job, and that's to do university ministry. Our university ministry is called Chi Alpha. There's about 300 in the nation. Um, ours is A&M. And... I'm only allowed to do that, and so I called the director of Chi Alpha, and we'd been asked to plant a church by some other people, and I said, can we do this? And he said, yes, but you have to work for free. And so I'm bivocational, it just so happens I work for Chi Alpha, and I volunteer to pastor a church, and I just want to encourage you too, our team, our, our group right now is, um, we don't do advertising. Here's what we believe, and this is the message I want to talk to you about this morning, is if what Jesus did in me, if he could take off the collar and the leash and restore the right relationship, get some things out of the way in our heart, if he could have full reign, what they always say is you don't have to advertise a fire. Amen? So right now our, our church is roughly 350, and it has happened through small group leaders going out, find, fighting, and feeding. And I just want to say thank you to your lovely pastor's wife who discipled my wife, who I wouldn't want to do this without. I want to say thank you for what the Lord has done in this church, both through Brian and James and your leadership, such a stellar church. And I want to thank you for giving so sacrificially so we could be on the field. Amen? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we just want to say thank you, God. Holy Spirit, would you help me administer your word this morning, God? Would you make it clear? Lord, would you help me with the, the few minutes I have? Lord, I, I spent time telling about what you've done so that I could say thank you to this church for having given. And Lord, I pray you bless it. But Lord, we pray you'd open your word to us this morning. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. It just kind of feels good to be vocal. Uh, I, I do like heckling, so feel free to heckle me. Um, <laughs> I actually mean it. I love it. I feel like it's my, my love language. My buddy and I, we love to. So there's three things you need to know to keep a Southern conversation going. That's right. You know that's right and heard that. 
That's right. You know that's right. That's right. It goes on forever. It's like the song that never ends. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it's close to the middle of the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm just going to read it, if I believe they have it up on, on the screen for us. Uh, my sermon today is entitled, God's Sunshine. Uh, Matthew 13, chapter, two, verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 2 through 9. Great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow and sowed. I think it's supposed to say seed. I might have put something wrong there. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. This passage marks a shift. Up until this point, Jesus has done clear what we would call expository teaching. We have the Sermon on the Mount, which has gone from Matthew 5 through 8, and all these wonderful, clear teaching. And all of a sudden, this is a shift. It says... He began to speak to them in parables. His disciples are so surprised by it that in Matthew 13, uh, 10, they asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? It was a shift. From now on in his public ministry, he doesn't go out and just preach Ezekiel chapter 32. In his public ministry, he begins to tell stories, short stories. Imagine thousands of people gathered because they'd seen him heal and do all these things. And now Jesus, the Savior of the world, is going to give a message. And he says this little story about four different types of soil. Mic drop, get in the boat, row off to the other side. And it says that from now on, verse 34, these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. And you could very easily add, any more. So this marks a shift. It's the first parable. It's also one of the few parables that is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptics. Speaking of which, Mark chapter 4 says, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand the rest? So this parable, if we can look into it, if the Lord will help us, this parable is actually key for understanding even the stories of the prodigal son, the treasure in a field. If we can actually get to the heart of this one, the rest of those will come alive to us. So we really need God's help because I don't have a lot of time. If God, This is one of the few parables that is in all three. So if I yell at my son, I'm like, Shane! And he doesn't listen, and I go, Shane! And he still doesn't listen. You know, by the time I get to number three, this is important, and he better run. So God repeats this three times, so we better run. It's told three times, and it's explained three times, and I just want to show you here if you'll put up uh, the side-by-side of them. This is uh, what it looks like, and and I'm not going to read them all right now because I'm in a hurry, so you can read them later, but it's in Matthew 13, 2 through 9, Mark 4, and then Luke 8. This is just when he says the parable, and then after he leaves The crowd alone, his disciples come to him, and on the next slide, he actually begins to explain it to them. 
And when he explains it to them, both when he says the parable, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each of them add a little bit. And then when he explains it to them, each of them add a little bit. And so if you want to do a great study, a study that will change your life, get your journal out, write them all down side by side, and begin to underline what each of the different gospel adds to see if we can understand why this is the key parable and why it's so important. I'm just going to read uh, the left one from Matthew about what he explains um, the parable meaning. And when the, you hear the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and, stands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. I'm going to show you a little bit of what I mean if we go to Matthew uh, verse 4 of Matthew 13. I've added, as he sowed, this is Matthew's account. So Matthew is in green. Uh, Mark is in yellow. And when we get to the blue, you're going to see uh, uh, Luke's. Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's right. Everyone right? All right. You know that's right. <laughs> Heard that. That's right. Okay. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air. So one just adds birds, then Mark adds of the air. We'll go to the next one. <clears throat> as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and it was trampled down, adds Luke's, and the birds of the air came and devoured them. And then when he explains it, I'll just explain it for you now. We'll do the whole thing there. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one, Satan, the devil, comes immediately and snatches away that which was sown in his heart, lest they should believe and be saved. And this is he who receives seed by the wayside. Really, as a pastor, I got sick and tired of doing altar calls and having 50 people come forward. I was so encouraged by it. I'm like, woohoo, 50 people got saved. And then 10 disappeared. I'm like, I mean, 40 disappeared, and I've only know where 10 are. I'm kind of ashamed of it. Like, I think if we say someone got saved, we got to like, not be like, well, I hope they did. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about Jesus saving people. It says the angels party in heaven. I want to be able to party with full, like, like, with full gusto. You know what I mean? Not like, <laughs> do I celebrate now? We don't know. You know what I mean? I don't have a lot of time to teach this whole thing because really we're going to focus on the second soil. But I want you to see a couple of things, and it'll help. First off, they received the seed and it was trampled down. It was on a hard place and then it got trampled down again after it was on the hard place. How do you make something that was growing something, how do you turn it into a road? Because this is the, the wayside soil. This is the pathway. Well, we all know when you cut across the grass, if one of you does it, you can get away with it. But if you go back and forth, like some of our dogs in our yards, they have these little trails they do. And they just, they just wear straight through the grass. It's not like they spread it out. I don't know why they do it. But they keep going in the same place, and eventually that grass gets crushed, and the dirt gets compacted, and whatever errors in there goes. And, and eventually, nothing can grow there. And so what does it take 
to take something in your heart that has been growing life and to crush the life out of it, well, if you look in the Bible for much, you see that it just means going against your conscience over and over and over again. And so here you have someone that has received a seed. The, the, the seed is the gospel. And I don't know if you caught it, but it said the seed was taken out of their heart. Now, this really messed with me, because when I read this, I was like, duh. Beep. I thought when you received the seed, that meant saved. But Jesus here, in explaining the parable, says the seed can get taken out of heart, and he never, ever calls that first soil safe. Isn't that fascinating? So it gets thrown in the soil. People go walk back and forth, and they crush it down. They trample it down. And so I was thinking and praying and said, Lord, we asked him to you know, kind of explain it to us. It says he hears the message. He received it. He does not understand the message. It says he received it without understanding, trampled it down. The devil, Satan, and the wicked one came and stole it away. Else they would be saved. The seed doesn't take root. The seed doesn't grow. It doesn't produce fruit. It's taken out of a heart. And what you find here is what we call the ministry, uh, the religion of hope and fear. What will make you pull over your car is you're like, man, this is, this, is a, this is a stop worth stopping for. They got a really good deal on those strawberries. Like, they're perfect right now. I was in a hurry to get home, but man, I think that's going to make my wife happy. And I'm already in the doghouse. So perhaps if I get some strawberries and bring them home, it could just kind of sweeten the deal. And... One of my favorite memories was for Jonathan's bachelor party. All these Texas boys are here, and we take them sailing off the Channel Islands, and we get a big flat of strawberries, and they're all munching them down and mowing them. And all of a sudden, we're out, and the wind gets up. It's about 20 to 30 knots, and the things like this, and red vomit. <laughs> just, just highlight of my life, man. I was the most coolest thing I've ever seen. What can get you to stop in the road? Well, man, anybody would receive the gospel if it can give them something for the future. Maybe it's a godly 401k. Or if they can avoid a punishment. Man, my wife, she's going to leave me. I need to go to church because maybe then if I go to church, you see how we do this? Well, we'll stop in the road if it can give us something for our benefit or if we can avoid something for pain. And this is exactly what he says. The devil comes immediately to snatch away that message because there's no actual heart involved. It's just hope for reward or avoidance. I don't have time to preach that much, but I'll, I'll let you look into it. But this kind of person would need assurance all day long because they're like, do I still have the seed or what? All right, moving on. The real one I want to talk about today is the stony places. In uh, verse 5 and 6, some fell on stony places, Luke adds rock, where they did not have much earth or moisture, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root and lack of moisture, they withered away. But he who received on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Pause for a moment. Immediately receives the gospel with joy. I'm like... This guy gets it. And the Bible says, actually, this is danger signs. Yet he has no root in himself. 
And these have no root, but endure only for a while, only for a time. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles or in a time of temptation fall away. The title of today is God's Sunshine, but I want to have to put this picture of plants up here for you. It's really bad. I like copied and pasted stuff, so... You know, there it is. That's right, yeah. That's, yeah. So this will help your imagination. One of you that's a great artist can make me a cool shirt and I'll sell it. Uh, The rocky soil. There's rocks deeper down. It's a real thin band of soil on top. If you have these kind of soil conditions, it's actually really fertile for a little while. Lightning strikes. I thought about copying and pasting lightning in there, and it just looked way too cheesy, and even I can't do that. Uh, so, but I'm not, you know, there it is. Adds nitrogen and all these things in it, and what happens is there's rocks in it, and it, can't, it says it has no root that goes down, no inward root. The Bible says that, that the Spirit himself bears witness on our spirit when we're his children, Like, it's not like someone had to go, well, did you pray this? Did you pray this? I'm like, yeah, I did, I did, I did. They're like, well, then you must be saved. I'm like, well, I guess I must be, but I sure don't have God telling me I am. And the Bible says that God will tell you. That's a powerful thought. Heard that? That's Yeah, come on, we got it. Y'all got this. I should teach them some A&M-isms. So what happens is the soil... You can't go down, and so the roots have to go sideways, which means you can't grow where you planted, which means you may get in a small group and be like, wow, this is really ministering to my life phase right now. But then you get into a different life phase, and it doesn't. So you got to leave and go over here a little bit. And maybe this church or this worship, we all, you know, we've got like, man, this YouTube guy, he's like the best sermonator right now that I've ever met. He's like just, he's on fire, he's on fire. And then at some point, I'm over him, you know. And the, the, they, they go out and, and they're fed from their community and only their community. And if you're here, you have to change communities quite often because at some point the community no longer feeds you because you have no inward taproot to God himself. This is, I'm not saying you on purpose. I just, this is how I preach. You guys okay with that? I told you you can heckle me, grab rocks, it's all right, it's all right. <laughs> Actually, this is what I like to do, my strategy with college students is, is we say love and laughter plows hard hearts. And what we do is we have a lot of fun, a lot of play, we do all, we all sort of stuff, and what happened is one of these guys, will, finally we push the right button and he grabs this rock out of his heart and he hucks it at me. And we have to be really good at being Davids and dodging that stuff, but we love it because a rock just got out of that guy's heart. Because without confession... Amen? I'll keep going just a little bit. We okay? What are these rocks? What would make you instantly receive the gospel with joy and then fall away? Well, normally, for a lot of guys I meet, it's like, I think I got a girl pregnant. Uh, I think my wife's going to leave me. I don't know if my husband's going to this. There's all sort of 
problems, guilty, when, it, when you have a guilty conscience that just weighs on you, it is the worst thing in the world because the only way you can actually have, uh, I'm not even going to call it rest, a moment of relief is like narcotic, like sleeping pills, that kind of stuff. The only way you can have rest from that kind of conscience is like to like drown it out and Netflix binging and that kind of stuff or to like drink it away a little bit, kind of like you drink just enough. You're not trying to get drunk, but you're just trying to enough so you don't have to think and worry about all that stuff. In other words, the only peace we have comes from something the world has to offer because there's no inward root. And so this kind of person, if you, I've, I have been this, so there's, if you know what I mean, this is like, you instantly receive it with joy because you're like, woohoo, Jesus, forgive me and my, that dirty stuff, my law, it's gone. Whoa, yeah. And what happens is we get saved from all our bad things. In other words, your conscience is creeping up and crushing you and you're like, I gotta have a clean conscience. And you go and you bow and you finally find relief at the cross and it's so great. And then all, but you never thought to ask, if God could have your whole life. Meaning, this is what we see all the time. I, I say this a lot. Prepare to our students. Prepare your dreams for ruin. It's time to answer the call. When you taste of God's love, all small ambitions fall. Man, I'm so glad I didn't get stuck with my second grade prayer. Otherwise, I'd be married to some old teacher right now and it'd be a really weird life. You know what I mean? It's so creepy. In the light of eternity, if we look at the gifts and dreams we have in our heart, all you need is like 30 years to realize that it's probably a good thing you didn't get stuck with this good thing you want so bad right now. Amen. So this is what the rock is. The rock is hidden hard places. It's unyielded rights. A&M students pay $100,000 for their degree often. And I say, the old churches had a good term for this. It was called consecration. The early church, when you repented, you repented of five areas. The first one was your selfishness. That makes sense. You know, I've been picking me first. This is the example we give. If you could have any car you wanted and drive from here to L.A. and there's no traffic on the road, it's just you, the conditions are perfect, any car you wanted, what would you get? Ferrari, all right. McLaren, someone's like, I just get a Tesla. That's all I want right now. And like hack it and overdrive it stuff. Some of you can tell me what I'm getting wrong on it later. And how fast would you drive? As fast as you felt like. Why not? It's just you. No one can get hurt. Perfect conditions. Got a good safe car. Now someone puts a speed limit, 70 miles an hour. Who, who here? No cops around? We just say there's just a simple little speed limit. Who here is going to drive the speed limit? There's a few of you. And then the rest of us, you're like maybe 20 over. In other words, we break it just as much as we feel like it, but still our feelings are regulating everything. But more importantly is if it's just you on the car, the law doesn't actually make sense. It's just you on the road. You start filling it up with multiple lanes of traffic, grandmas and, you know, 16-year-olds that shouldn't be driving. Their dad gave them a Tesla, and what's he thinking? 
That's what I found about driving. Anyone going faster than you is an idiot, and anyone driving slower than you is a moron. You're like, what's this idiot doing? Stupid moron, get off the road. What it means is our feelings of driving, we are our own standard. And if everyone drove as fast as they felt like, what would you call that on the highways? Chaos. It makes no sense to drive according to your feelings. You need something outside of yourself. And this is actually what the Bible here is dealing with, is a people that only want to give him the parts they don't like, but want to hang on to everything that they love. But that's not salvation. So they would repent of their selfishness, driving as fast as they feel like. But the second area that the church had to ask him to repent of was their worldliness. Everyone gets drunk on the 21st. It's just what people do. Like, no, it's not what God's people do. Amen. I can move on. The third one is your flesh. What does this mean? Well, I remember the first time I started cussing, eighth grade. Dad was a super Bible thumper, and I was super over it. So I'm like, Mufasa. Whew, God, it felt good. And say it again, Mufasa. I'm saying these words, and it like kind of gives me a little rush. And, and I used to be real witty in my insults of people, and then all of a sudden I'm cussing like, and I can't think of any other words. So I'm like, G-D-S-O-B-A-B-G, and I just start rearranging the letters, but I, all my creativity's gone. And I remember choosing to do it at first, and then all of a sudden now, it just comes out of me with no thought at all. I just do that. It's kind of like guys opening the door and like letting it slam on the girl behind you. Oh, sorry, I'm not used to having someone go with me. I'm not even used to opening the door for anybody. I just open it for myself. And that's your flesh. That's what the flesh is. It's not what you're like, I'm going to go and I'm going to really crush a girl today and I'm going to really blow up my friends with using bad language. You just, just jumps out of you. You just... By habit is actually what the Greek word for flesh means in Ephesians, by habit. And you had to repent of your habits. You're like, Lord, make me a child again. This isn't just the way I, this may be the way I am, but it's not what I was intended to be. And so I put my whole body on the cross and start reforming habits and say, God, do you like this habit? And God in his mercy deals with one habit at a time, takes a legalistic person outside of you and goes, you know, like, they're like, this habit's bad, that habit's bad. And you're like, listen, you're probably right, but God's, I'm starting on this one and he'll get me there. Amen. And the fourth one that he would have you repent of was your flesh. I'm sorry, uh, the devil. <clears throat> I remember this guy was so angry at me. He comes for an altar call and, his small group leader had said something. He's like, my small group leader, that's, I'm, that's stupid. Bleep. And I'm going to quit Chi Alpha. And I'm like, good, you should. You should quit right now. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, let's just get it over with. He left because this other person I was talking to was just giving their heart to Jesus. And this guy couldn't wait. He had to like... He didn't realize that his attitude was like a lightning rod the devil could use to try to be a moving screen to keep this person from loving Jesus. And it seems like when you get right with God, at some point you got to, I had to go, Lord. I remember lying about losing my virginity, trying to impress my friends. And then my best friend calls me and tells me that he lost his for real. I was like, why'd you do that? And he's like, well, you did. So when I kneeled before the cross, I had to kneel from how the devil could have used me 
I didn't like mean to be used by him, but I had to be sorry for it once I, I was like, oh. And there's a counter in the cost. You repent of your selfishness. You begin to say, so you root it. Is there any worldliness in me? Lord, my flesh, the devil. And then the fifth one is the one that most people never get past, and it's your own good things. What's wrong with me being a doctor? Not anything wrong with you being a doctor. The question is, is have you trusted it to God or are you going to do it no matter what he wants? The Bible term for that is consecration. Sorry, the early church term for that is consecration. It means my whole life, whatever I'm going to do is in his hands. Lord, I was a computer science major. You're pretty good at building. I didn't want to, if I was doing what I'm good at, I, I wouldn't be pastoring. The Bible says God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That means gift and call can be different. They're two different things. They can be the same, but they might not be. So this little message, I don't have time if we had three more Sundays and I was still alive so I didn't get lynched by the mob. We could talk about the next ones, but I need to end. What's God's sunshine? I would have thought it's love. But when Jesus explains the parable here, he says that the sunshine is tribulation, persecution, temptation. And we're in the sunshine state. That's right. You know that's right. Every healthy plant should grow with sunshine. If the plant wilts from the sunshine, it tells you something. It has no inward root. There's something not right with the plant. For years, I spent so much time trying to shield my disciples from temptation and tribulation and persecution. And I was like, man, if I could just get them in a spot where they're not going to be tempted anymore, then if I could just free. And God says, Eli, you're messing with my sunshine. Any real seed will grow with sunshine and the water of my spirit. God says, I will not leave you as orphans. So the seed should grow under tribulation, persecution, temptation. I know you've heard this, and just in case you haven't. In gladiator times, in the Colosseum, for every Christian that died, six or seven got saved in the stands. Persecution has done nothing but help the church. Temptation actually should grow the church. And so here is where I end. I'll invite Brian back up, but my prayer is this. Is God wants you to have an inward root. That's his goal for you. I look around and I see some faces. The dream, the only dream that he's given me for my church is not numbers. It's types of people.
feel like if God grabbed you here, one here, one here, one here, and sprinkled you in solving. 30, 60, 100 fold. Three people, 30, 60, 100 fold. Good seed growing in good soil produces a plant that produces more seed over. So what kind of seed are you? What kind of soil is your heart? Is it the conscience? Is it rocky? Temptation forces you into a choice. I have a right to be married. I have a right to be fulfilled. I have a right to do what makes me happy. And the sunshine comes out and makes you pick. God or my right? Tribulation comes and makes you pick. Are you standing up for Jesus again? Why don't you just shut up? Persecution makes you pick. Tribulation, news cycle. God or my right? Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for how you've used this church in my life, God. To tattoo my soul, Lord. To bring so many dreams and desires that I had, Lord, you used this church to bring so many of them, of those lonely nighted prayers, Lord. When I cried out to you, Lord, you used this church to bring the answer of them to me, Lord. God, I know if I'd never released them to you that I would never have found what you wanted for me. And Lord, I thank you for the dreams that I laid at your feet for what I would be in my future, God. I thank you, Lord, that I laid them at your feet and they're not ruling my life. I'm not wilting under the sunshine, God, because I trusted even those things I was good at and loved and wished I could and hoped I had, we laid it at your feet, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I I sense there's some here. You've been working through, through this phase of breaking up and restoring a conscience. And this next step, Lord, is laying rocks at your feet and saying, Lord, take all of me. I'm reminded of a young man who felt like he found a good church. And he goes, this church is just going to be real positive for me. My brother-in-law, Jonathan, goes, you don't realize what Jesus is going to cost you yet. Your parents could hate you. And it wasn't until after that that Doug Chan got radically saved. And he's productive, 30, 60, 100-fold in the business world. So Lord Jesus, we'll put our hearts, the soils of our heart in your hands and ask Holy Spirit that you could do only what you can do is work the soils of our heart so that we be good soil, producing fruit 30, 60, 100-fold.